0: Brother Man. Let's just remain standing for a few moments. And I'm sure in an audience of this size, there's many requests. People who are sick needy, and needy. So let's just bow our heads just a moment for a word of prayer. And here's many requests laying here, all sort of handkerchiefs. Our Heavenly Father, we are coming now in the name of the Lord Jesus, knowing this, that you promised that you would hear and would answer our prayers. And I ask you to be merciful to us, to forgive our sins, and we're taught in the scripture that you forgive all of our sins and heal all of our diseases. Hallelujah! And we pray, Heavenly Father, that this will be done this afternoon, now, because we're asking it in the name of the Lord Jesus upon these handkerchiefs and requests. We're taught in the Scriptures how that from the body of Paul was taken handkerchiefs and aprons, and evil spirits went out of the people, and they were healed. Now, you're the same Jesus today, and we stand in number asking that you'll grant these things. There's no doubt many requests in the building today of so many people that are needy in this hour. Meet their needs, Lord, both physically and spiritually. For we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, brother. We used to sing a little song years ago A Little Talk with Jesus Makes It Right. Now, I believe Brother Williams just got through saying there's a breakfast in the morning. And now, I don't believe I've ever heard where next year it's going to be at, right? Back here again, right? Back here again. Well, that's the same place, the same place, that's very, that's that's very, man ought to worship at Jerusalem. That's Tucson, not, not down here. (laughs) Now you're down under the hill, Jericho is down under the hill from Jerusalem, you know, so. That's Jerusalem down there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Did
0: you hear that? <laughs> so, uh, man ought to worship God everywhere, Jesus said, you know. Amen. Not at Jerusalem, either here or in this mountain, but worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen. That's the main thing in spirit and in truth. Now, I usually, when I speak, uh, i I'm just so slow. I, I was admiring Brother Velma Gardner uh, the other night, could come up here and putt more in 15 minutes than I can put in three hours. <laughs> my! Uh, I don't know whether they ever told you this or not. When I was a, a kid, I, my daddy was a rider, you know, and he used to ride horses and break them followed rodeo, shooting, trick shots, and I thought, you know, when I got to be about twelve years old, I ought to take after my dad, so when they'd plow the old horse out there in Indiana, you know, until he got so tired, he couldn't move hardly, I'd get my dad when he made the round with the plow, you know, way out the back of the field, and I'd get down there where they had an an old watering trough made out of a log. How many ever seen one of them watering troughs? Man, look at the Kentuckians that's in here. Oh, I used to have a big time, go down and put the horse hair in the water, you know, and watch it turn to what we call a horsehair snake, and then we would, you know, touch it and move, and the bees. I'd get my little brothers and all set them along down there and get the old plow horse, you know, and jerk the harness off of him right quick and get dad's saddle, a handful of cockle burrs, and put her the saddle and pull it the cinch. I'd, I'd jump up on that poor horse, old and tired, and he couldn't get his feet off the ground. He just bawl, you know, and I'd throw that hat around, and wow. I, I thought I was a rider. And I thought y'all needed me out here down in Arizona to break your horses, you know. So about 17, 18 years old, I run off. Got out here around where he's having a uh, rodeo. Well, I thought, man, if I could just get in that rodeo, I'll ride the horses for him. I'll have some money, mate. So I um, remember the first rider came out. He was riding what was called, I believe they called it the Kansas Outlaw. He's a great big horse, big black fellow about. Seventeen hands high, a <laughs> real ho- heavy, strong horse. And I went, well, if that fellow can ride, him, so can I. And this noted rider got out there, and I was sitting around on the crowd, you know, with the pen where uh, all these disfigured cowboys, you know, I wasn't quite disfigured like they was, but I thought I was as good a rider. So they, I'd rode that old plow horse, and why well, I couldn't have ride that. And so when he come out of the chute, and, <laughs> man, that horse! <laughs> Could put all four feet in the wash pan. had done a sun feast and a twirl around there a few times. And the saddle went one way and the rider another. And the pickup's got the horse and the ambulance got the rider. I knew that wasn't that old plow horse I used to ride.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Caller came down to. He said, "I'll give any man I said fifty dollars. That's a lot of money, man. Fifty dollars you can ride him. So many seconds on him." And he I, I was just shaky. He came up to me and said, Are you a writer? I said, No, sir. <laughs> when I first got saved and I was ordained in a Missionary Baptist Church, I used to pack the Bible around, you know, and I wanted somebody to ask me if I was a preacher, you know? but every time somebody said, You preacher, I said, Sure. One day I was over at St. Louis. I just met our Baptist brother and I was over at St. Louis, and I heard a fellow named Robert Daugherty, many of you might know him, and he was in a tent meeting, He's a Pentecostal brother, Wow, my, that man preached till he was blue in the face, and he, he, he just preached till he just sank down. You hear him catch his breath two blocks away, without a microphone, too, and just catch his breath and come back up preaching. <laughs> Since then, somebody said, you preach, I said, no, I, I just pray for the sick. <laughs> <laughs> My old slow Baptist this way, don't think of it that fast, so just bear with me, you know. And you know, it's the Scripture said to bear with the weak, so that's me. So I'm thankful that you all have tried to do that this week and have done a real good job, 10 o'clock at night when I'm supposed to be home in bed and keeping you out. But really, this afternoon, I, I'm going to try to hurry and get right out. i got a lot of driving to do yet this afternoon in order to get back here in the morning. And so I, I appreciate you, though. And if I do you not know, get a chance to say this uh, at any other time, I thank you very much. Each one, all you ministers and you Christian businessmen, such a really a pleasure to, for you to invite me and let me come here and put in my little plug with you, brethren. brother, Brother Shakarian, Brother Williams, and all the, the man. I'm certainly grateful. And why didn't you say amen a while ago? Tony and I talked about Tucson. <laughs> I didn't even hear him. <clears throat> that's the best hunter in Arizona when I'm in Indiana. See, well, that's after I go to Indiana. <laughs> See this picture of the paper of the day? We have to change that, Tony. <laughs> so now, remember, that tomorrow night, the banquet at with Brother Oral Roberts. And now, before we approach the word, I'll... I was going to speak this afternoon on uh, the countdown, and I thought that, uh, that I'd get in here. I used to be here at 7 o'clock. <laughs> all about what science has been able to do and then what God's been able to do, you see. And so we're living in a different age than we used to live, both physically and spiritually. So we are. We are grateful for our achievements in the spiritual rims, the same as the sciences in their in their material rims, scientific rims. Now, let us, if you don't mind, again, you know, you might sing too much. I don't hardly see how you could if you sing like Brother Outlaw's choir while we're going to stand there listening. That they're going up, 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 up. But and again, you might eat too much. You might drink too much. You might work too much. But I don't think you can pray too much. The Bible said I would that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands. And so let's bow our heads again just a moment. Heavenly Father, we we love to talk to you, and I think of man, how I love to know that they're in the city just to shake their hand and talk to them. We all have those feelings, and how much more greater is it for the privilege of speaking to you? Our Lord and our Savior, and our hearts beat to be in the presence of each other. And then how much more is it when we know we're in your divine presence, and we know you're here, because you said, wherever, if it's all over the world or around the world or wherever it may be, or two or more are gathered in my name, I'll be there in their midst. And we know that. That Scripture cannot fail. That promise is divine. It came from the lips of the Savior. And therefore, maybe we are, our conscience and our, the sin of our unbelief has separated us so far away that we might not be able to recognize you being here, but you're here just the same, for you keep your promise. And now, you said if they will ask. Anything is touching one thing, and it shall be given them. Father, the greatest thing that I could think of just at this time and for this audience, feed us, Lord, on the spiritual manna that comes from God out of heaven. Grant it, Lord. Feed us on your word. Thy word is truth, and man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that Proceeds from the mouth of God, and as we read it, may the Holy Spirit take it to each heart and divide it among us today, just as we have need. While we ask it in Jesus' name, Thy Son, Amen. <laughs> now, as many times as I've said, ministers and people, we listen to each other speak, and we take down scriptural texts that some other minister has spoke on or someone, and, and I'm constantly doing that, going down the road. I have a little sheet of paper, a little book laying along by the, my side, and a scripture will come up on my mind. I jot that down. And the first thing you know, now nah, you're all guilty of that, aren't we? We do that. And then after a while the Holy Spirit will quicken that to us, and we get another thought Man, I just have to drive off the side of the road and jot down on some things. and. And uh, that's why then when I come to time to speak, I'll go back through those things. And I'll go to thinking of it and run into some scripture reference. And then put them scripture reference down. And then when I turn to it, I'll remember what the scripture says. And then uh, I speak from there. We mostly all do that way. Now, I'm going to read just a, about a verse out of the book of Philippians again. I was reading from Philippians the other night over the Wednesday night over with Brother Shores at the Assembly of God when I spoke on the subject of identified with him. And now I want to read in the first chapter of Philippians for this afternoon about the uh, 20th verse. And now let's listen prayerfully as we read. According to my earnest expectations and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that which is Boldness, all boldness, always. So now also Christ shall be manifested in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I will not. I was thinking of this and thought I would use a little familiar thought, just a word. You say, Brother Bram, a word for this, probably a thousand people sitting here? Uh, uh, just a word? Well, if it's the right kind of word. Now, I want to try, if the Holy Spirit you inspires this, to build a little. Uh, get a little context around my text. I want to call it an absolute, an absolute. Now I was looking in the dictionary to find out when I was looking at the word identified. Uh, come into this word, uh, absolute. And the absolute, according to Webster's dictionary, is says it's perfect in itself, unlimited in power. Primarily an ultimate. An absolute. It's used many times. Uh, it's the last word. It's the Amen. You hear people say absolutely that's it. That's the last thing. It's it's unlimited. See it that takes from here on. There's nothing else in its way. It's it's a supreme It's an ultimate, and an ultimate is when you're primarily an ultimate because you've reached the end. It's the amen. That's all. Now, any and tied to ever great achievement has been an absolute to every person and everything that's been did or done, rather. There has been an absolute connected with it. There's got to be something for it's the final time post, and man cannot by no means achieve anything until there comes somewhere where they recognize that there is an absolute. One time in a a doctor's office, I was speaking to a doctor, and he said, well, I I tell you, uh, Billy, he said, it's true that and I believe that a man could appropriate enough faith that he could go out here and touch this tree and be healed. I said, but doctor, how could a man ever appropriate enough faith to touch a tree and be healed? See? Because there is no background to that. There's, there's no place you can tie to it because it's, it's, not, it's not scripturally a foundation. But you've got to have something you can tie to to know that this is it. That's the... Many little things might lead up to it, but that is the last word, last thing. That's why I've always believed in, in the Word. And I know it may be a, a little testimony that comes on my heart just now. It might not be a, a very appropriate, but I, I hope that it, it won't offend. And my wife's sitting there, and all many here know that that's true. There was a—I used to go with a, a, a young lady that was at the—from the Baptist Church at Milltown, Indiana, and I used to pastor. And the young lady had been in the meetings and seen what God did, and, oh, we were just friends, just uh, good friends. And later, we were both uh She married a fine— young man and 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 later I was married and we haven't seen each other for years her father was a very personal friend of mine his name was Lee Marion Lee and I remember one night of scripture he couldn't he couldn't get it fixed up he said Brother Branham I'm not doubting you but said you know I've always been taught this he was a he was a Nazarene and he said I, I've been taught this and I, I just can't understand it and he was a carpenter, I went home with him one night, and he said, uh, i tell you, while Norm and them goes upstairs, said, let's, let's just have a bite to eat. We got some cornbread and buttermilk. That's really good. And so we, I could treat it justice right now. I haven't been eating for about three weeks here, just a little now and then, so I could be at the best for my Lord. And now we got a big glass of cold buttermilk out of the spring house and a big piece of cold cornbread and we sat down and crumbled this cornbread up in there and was eating. And he said, Billy, I, I, I just don't get that what you're talking about. So we, we went to bed and long about, long late in the night. He, we talked about one o'clock and I went to sleep on him. And he, he woke up and he said, I, I dreamed that I was... Uh, a building, a building up in, in New Albany, and the man left me the blueprint. He went to Florida, and he had a, on this blueprint he had a bay window. And I said, that man don't want that bay window out there, so I just left it off. And said, when the man come back, he said, I will not pay you for this building until you tear it down and rebuild it according to this blueprint. I said, there's a creek right down here. It isn't very far. So. <laughs> You don't want to go tearing something down at the end of the road. You might not have time. He says, it's all right with my pajamas on. I said, but mine too. Let's go. So we went down. So his daughter got real, real famous and his grandchildren on singing. And they, they were United Brethren. His daughter is married a United Brethren minister or minister's son. And this boy, fine fella, he was a... a Machinist up the boatworks and the little girls trying to live for Christ They got too much pressure on their very genius kiddies one of them at 17 years old was teaching music She had majored in she was a very smart girl and so uh, This little fella couldn't stand the pressure be teased and they tell her she's old-fashioned and so forth and after a while The kid had a breakdown They they taken her to what they call our Lady of Peace a Catholic institution Louisville for shock treatment. And they gave her, of course, that's a shot in the dark. If there's a doctor here, I hope I don't offend you by that, but sometimes it makes them worse than ever. And so give her a a shock treatment and it it made the child worse. So they sent her home. A few weeks they had to bring her back again and she was really in a horrific shape then. So they kept her and tried to doctor her up over there for quite a while and she got worse. And so. Three days from then, they were going to take her to Madison. That's the insane institution where they put them in a padded cell from then. So the mother said, we're not defeated. And she said, we'll see if we can get Brother Branham to come over and pray for her if he's at home. So they called up and had to be out, was at home. So he came up to see me. He said, Brother Branham, will you go over and pray for her? I said, sure. So he called the doctor. The doctor said, who is this coming so he told him as me, and he said, Well, i tell you, wait, said, well, we'll uh, you call me back this afternoon. Well, he called and all until one o'clock in the morning, his wife kept saying, Uh, he's not in. The next morning he called, he's not in. And the third day, he's going to send the child away. So, I, I hate to say this, but I have a way of knowing. The doctor's just dodging the issue, see? So, then it, the father was real nervous, and I had to leave the following day to leave out. That day's all we had. So the mother and father and the other two sisters come up crying, said, he's just dodging. I said, sure he is. But i tell you what, don't say I'm a minister. Just let me go over as a friend, just going with you. So we went in the institution, you know, they locked the doors behind you and take you up on the elevator and they locked the elevator. So and the sisters taking us up and we got into the room and sat down on the side of the bed and there that a real pretty little lady, about 16 something sitting there, completely gone. She's just staring. You could wave your hands and she wouldn't even notice it. And I said to her, Ruthie, do you, do you remember me? I said, I, I, I'm Brother Bram. I said, you used to call me Butterville. I said, I, I presented you to Christ on the cradle roll. Won't you remember me? She just stand and look. Oh, a beautiful girl. And the three of them, it was a trio, three sisters. And um, I tried to get her attention and I, I, I couldn't do it. She was staring. She was just gone. And I sat there, and I, they didn't have no post on the bed in that place. You know, not cause keep from getting hurt. And I sat across the foot of the bed. The mother sat the other side of the little bed, this little single bed in this little room. And the girl was sitting on a, a little, uh, like a little seat built in the wall. And the sister was standing up, and the father was standing by the girl. And the mother was standing there, and the tears running down from her cheeks. She said, You see, Billy, uh, well, what can we do? I said, Well, listen, Norma, Christ still is Christ. See? She said, This was our last chance. That they take her up there, you know what's going to happen? They we'll never see her guess, again. And if we do, you know how the, the treatment to get there? And I said, Well, Norma, let's not be excited. I said, We just, just wait a few minutes and then, and then no more than said that, there stood the girl before me in a vision, Normally, well, smiling, and she was looking towards a young man, and I looked at the young man, I looked back, vision left me, I said, Norma, does she have a boyfriend, kind of tall dark hair? Yes. And I said, does he do something with him and singing? He said, yes, that's right. I said, don't you worry. I have thus saith the Lord." She's coming out of it. Norma drew her hands and caught me by the knee, looked up to her husband and said, "'Honey, it's never wrong, that it's never wrong.'" The girl never changed a bit. I said, "'All right, Norma, you know what? I wouldn't have told you that now unless I'd seen it and God came out.'" See, I went on out of the hospital. and. Got him on car, they stayed. In about two hours, the man, the phone was just ringing when it came up from Mr. Woods down below. And it was her father. He was on the phone. He said, Brother Brando I got something to tell you. He said, You hadn't been gone 20 minutes until she come to herself normally. And she's been examined by the whole staff of doctors. We're taking her home in the morning. Oh, yeah. And now, oh, hey. Now she sings at the tabernacle now. Hallelujah. Now there's men and women here from, from Jeffersonville there that knows that story's true. If you're in here, let's say if you raise up your hands, how many knows that story? Yes, yeah, see, all around. Know that it's true, absolutely true. Now, what was it? That little lady used that vision as an as an absolute, an ultimate. See, you've got and everything you've got to have somewhere you could tie down to. and I've always used the word of God because there's no other tiepost that I know of as great as that, because both heavens and earth will pass away, said Jesus, but my word shall never fail. What a tiepost. now Paul had a christ-centered life. he uh, th- that was. Christ was Paul's absolute. He had, um, he had been a great teacher Paul had. He was taught under Gamaliel, and a great teacher he was of his uh, the, um, denomination, of his Pharisee uh, background, and he was a uh, taught, schooled, and he had a great background. I think when he received the Holy Ghost and went down into Egypt for three years, I think that must have been where he got the... Taking the Scripture and comparing it with the revelation that he had had to see if it was right. And you know the great famous book of Hebrews, none other could have wrote it, but Paul. Because he knowed how those types and antitypes, what a beautiful lesson. And now, Paul had met Jesus one day, met, the, met him face to face on the Damascus Road, when he was going down to persecute the Christians, a very, great brawler, giving out great threats and doing things against the Church of God, making havoc of it, even persecuted them to death. And one day on the road down, the reason he had this Christ-centered life is because he personally, now laying aside his teaching, he personally met Christ. And that's the only way that you're ever going to know Him, is to meet Him. Amen. Yeah. Now, to know Him is life, not even know His Word, is good as it may be, yet you've got to know Him. To know Him is life. And Paul had not had this experience yet. And he said one place here, the life that I now live, showed that he had lived a different life one time. His life had been changed. And when your life is changed, it makes you do things you ordinarily would not do. And it makes you say things you wouldn't ordinarily say. A man has got a Christ-centered life. Well, Paul stood right in the midst of the people, those Jews and so forth. He was one speck of fear about him. He knowed who he had believed. And he he had a a life that he would by no means have did it if he hadn't have found something that was genuinely and anchored him. I think any Christian should be that way. Every believer, you should never, I think especially ministers, should never try to enter the pulpit until they have met God upon those sacred sands where there's no philosopher can explain it away. You met God and you know it, then there's nothing can ever hide it away from you. Uh, we have times that we have great scholarship and nothing against that. That's all right. But all that goes good. But you personally have got to meet God to a place that no one can twist any scriptures. You were there. You, you're the one that met him. You had the experience of it. You know him. Yeah. I think every minister, especially, and every believer should, should take this place, this position, to first meet Christ personally. And it makes you do things as, as I said that you ordinarily would not do. It makes you say things that you ordinarily would not say. Yet uh, it is something that you're centered to or tied to. It's something that you know, like Paul, that you you met something that was different than you ever seen in your life. See, it's just like uh, a ship. See, a ship has has an absolute, and that ships absolute is the anchor now when that ship is in a tossing waters where easily could be thrown against a rock or or burst it up or hit ground where the the water is not deep enough the great swells coming up will flash the ship turn it over it's got to have deep enough water to float it or the waves will turn it over and and a ship with the anchor that great mighty tons of of, of metal that it drops out, of steel, and it goes down, down, until it hits the top of the bed of the ocean, somewhere in the top of the mountain, and that great anchor pulls as the waves rock the ship till it strikes its great big spears into a rock, and there the ship has an absolute, it's anchored, waves might toss it about. But still, that ship can stand as perfectly still uh, where worse anchor because it's an absolute to it. And if Christ is your absolute, you are tied to him in that manner, no matter what anybody says. How hard the persecution gets, how bad the storm seems to be, how, how it looks impossible for it to happen if something has happened in you that christ becomes your absolute or any promise in the bible becomes your absolute if you're sick and and you're praying for healing and something becomes to that strikes that promise in the bible of god there's nothing going to wave you from it you remember the story a few minutes ago the little lady that vision was her absolute she noted it never failed. So it was her absolute. If she could get God to speak back and say it's over no matter what the doctor said, it was an absolute. It was absolutely anchored down. And a man or a woman just in philosophy or church joining or uh, something like that, you're not anchored yet. You, You take your letter from one church to the other, from one place to another. But if you just take the real absolute Christ. Anchor yourself in that. It don't make any difference what comes or goes. You're still anchored. And what the Christian needs today, in this atomic age, and this time of uncertainty, you need something besides just a, an experience of joining church. You need an anchor, an absolute that you know. Because churches will fail, and people will fail, but Christ cannot Thank you, he he said he's the absolute to the believer. And if Christ is your absolute, you're tied to him. And if he is your absolute and you're tied to him, then you're tied to the Word. Ah. Now this tells whether we got the right absolute or not. If you can read in that scripture something that Christ has ordained or commissioned us to do, and because of some twisting around, that someone would tell you that far as disciples or someone else, and then you don't hold on to that, then Christ is not your absolute. That person who led you out of the way is your absolute. But if that Word, Christ, still holds, see, then He's your absolute. We mustn't let anything stir us out of the way of the Word. See, some of them today, it's going to get more than ever. As the days go by, that we're going to see people with this, as Jesus said, form of godliness. And uh, just a a form, it's coming into, we've had it in the Methodists and Baptists and so forth for years. And now it's creeped over into the Pentecostals. And little when God gave a man the Holy Spirit, he set him with his face towards Calvary and the word before him. Now little roots will rise up from off that highway, come in and wrap around and around that tree, and you think it's very innocent. But the first thing you know, it's got such a hold on you until it pulls you the wrong way, makes you lean the wrong way. And so has philosophies and things enter among us until it's begun to pull us towards the world. You take the sharp 2 edged sword of God and cut free from everything and stay right on that word. Because that is the ultimate, that's the absolute to every believer. And if a man or a woman is filled with the Holy Spirit, your heart within you will punctuate every promise of God with an Amen. Right? Now, when someone tells you the days of miracles is past, there is no such a thing as divine healing. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is for another age. And then you turn over in the Bible. And read where Peter said of the day of Pentecost, when they were all pricked in their heart. And they said to him, men and brethren, what, shall we, what can we do to be saved? Now, if church joining would have been what he said, he said, you must find the, the body and, and join the church. Well you see, there was such, wasn't such a thing in that day. So he'd give them the exact prescription of what it takes. He told them what they must do. And how far it would be? He said, repent, every one of you. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is not to you and to your children. And to them as far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Then how far is it? Jesus said in Mark 16, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. These signs shall follow them that believe. See? How far? All the world. To every creature the gospel is. And these signs shall follow everyone that believes. In my name they shall cast out devils speak with new tongues or take up serpents or drink deadly things but not harm them lay their hands on the sick they shall recover now you see you must get that absolute that's something that's real that identifies you with Christ and his word yes the word is Christ and you must be sure that you can say amen to that word or your absolute is wrong you've got to build up on some creed so I believe Christ but I don't believe that stuff I believe Christ, but I don't believe this. Then your absolute's wrong. Your absolute is in some creed and not in Christ. Because Christ is the Word. He is also like the North Star. He is to a a man that's lost. I I hunt worldwide. And I've been in in the wilderness. And sometimes one of the best, if you can look up and you know the direction of the North Star, he guides you out. When a, a, a man is seen, and when he's he's lost, if he can only find the north star, he can direct himself in the way he's going. Now that's when he's lost. He looks for the north star. Now other stars shift, but that north star sets right in the center of the earth. No matter where the earth's turning, that north star remains the same. It points towards the north. It's the only true star. I understand that we have. Is that? extremely north star. Now, it gives you your direction. And that's what Christ is to you. If you want to go to heaven, if you want to be saved, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, if you want to be Christ-like, Christ is your north star. If you're lost, don't try to take a creed. He is your north star. He is your way. He is your direction. Then if you, if you take him as your North Star, then that absolutely places the Holy Spirit your compass. Amen. The Holy Spirit is your compass, and the compass will only point to the North Star. And if you've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it can only point to Christ, and Christ is the Word. That's the way to find your way back. See. You can't look up here and say, this is shining, uh, this star shines here and that's you watch somewhere else. See, you've got to get somewhere where it's absolutely established. Now, Christ being the North Star and the compass always points that way. And if you are really saved, really the only way you can be saved is through Christ and the Holy Spirit being your compass will guide you right straight to the Word. You what I mean? Now, that's a wonderful. And the Word and Christ is one. Both of them are the same, self-same. In the beginning, St. John 1, was the Word, the Word is with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. If He is your North Star, then He becomes your absolute. This is a long way getting around what I want to say, but uh, you'll understand it maybe, of what I'm trying to get to you. There must be an absolute in your life. You've got to have it somewhere, and every one of you's got one. You can't go on without one. You've got to have an absolute. That was a time that when a a woman, uh, her, her word about table manners, that was the absolute in America. I think her name is Emily Post, if I'm not mistaken, and whatever... She said about table manners, if she said you should eat, with your, eat your peas with a, with a knife, that, that, was, that was it.
1: <laughs> that
0: was it. And why? And uh, if she said to eat the chicken, you just picked it up and, in your hands and eat it, no matter how anybody looked at you, you were exactly in line. See? Because that was the absolute. She was the absolute of table manners. That's right. Whatever that woman said, that was it. That was a time when Germany, when uh, Adolf Hitler was an absolute in Germany. No matter what anybody said, Hitler was the last word. What Hitler said, it had to be done. That was his way of doing it. And no matter how many of the rest of them thought anything about it, Hitler was the last word. He was the absolute. There was a time when Mussolini was Rome's absolute. There was a time when Pharaoh was the absolute of Egypt. Whatever Pharaoh said had to be done. But you see, all those was the wrong kind of real absolutes. They failed, every one of them. Standing in Egypt not long ago, I was thinking about the a time that Pharaohs sat on their thrones. And you know, you had to dig down 20 feet in the ground to find where their thrones was. See? Oh, what an absolute that would be. It's perished and gone. And the people that relied upon that kind of a, a, a absolute, they are perished with it and gone on. Why? It was man-made, and anything that's man-made will perish with man. But there is an absolute that cannot perish. That's the eternal Word of God. It can never perish. You must stay with it. now. Now, we realize that uh, we got an absolute year. We go out here and have a trial. And you get in a trouble out here and you have a trial here in the city. They can take it up to their other courts and so forth. It might finally come to the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court's decision is the absolute. That's the end of trials. That's all the farther you can go. That's the last court. Is the Supreme Court. And that's an absolute. Now, sometimes we don't agree with them and, and, or don't like their decisions. But just the same, it's the absolute because a nation is tied to it. See? What the Supreme Court says, no matter if I said they're wrong, that don't make it wrong. In this nation, they're right. Whatever their decision is, it's right. An absolute, we have to have it. If there wasn't somewhere, a trial would never end. But there's got to be somewhere that that trial makes its end. And that is in Supreme Court. Anyone knows that. It's finished. When it goes to Supreme Court, they make a decision. That settles it. That's all. You go where else you can go goes. that's our highest court. There's a... I have to have an absolute. I have to have an absolute in court. We have to have an absolute at a ball game. Do you know that? A ball game can, can't operate right without an absolute. And that's the umpire. Now, sometimes we, we don't like his decisions, but it's, 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 it's abs, he's an absolute anyhow. If no matter if we want to say, and others say that, that it was a strike, or it was a ball, and he says it's a strike, that's what it is. Don't argue with him. He's there, he's an absolute in that ball game. Because if he said strike, you can fuss, you can throw your hat out there and protest it, but it's a strike anyhow. Hey, man. Let's think it's in What if there was an umpire in the game? What kind of a fuss would it be? It'll all be chaos. You you couldn't play the game without having an absolute in it. Games has got to have an absolute. And if games has to have an absolute, what about life? It has to have a resting place in every moral here this afternoon has got your absolute somewhere. Your ultimate, that's the last word. Notice. There'd be fusses and everything at this ball and It'd all end up in chaos. You know, a red light is an absolute to traffic. Well, what if the red light don't work? What if the red light's out when you get there? One say, I, I got here first. And the other say, I'm in a hurry to go to work. Talk about a traffic jam. That's about what's got to matter with our churches and things. It's such a jam. The red light must be out somewhere. Oh! buses and argue, Why well, you never get it over. There must be a something there to say, you go and you wait, and so forth, or we'd be all messed up. Well, now in our beliefs, in our 600 and something different denominations, yeah, I think it's 900 now, of, of different organizations, there's got to be an absolute somewhere. If the Catholic's right, the Protestant's wrong. If the Methodist's right, the Baptist's wrong. If the Pentecost is right, then the rest of them's wrong. And, and there's got to be something somewhere. And how are you going to basin if you don't take God's absolute? That's Christ. And Jesus said in John fourteen twelve, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Amen. It's an absolute fact that Christ promised that. That's his word. Amen. We've got to believe that. Said he in St. John, the fifth chapter, the 24th verse, he that heareth my words, my words, and believeth on him that sent me, has everlasting life and shall not come into the judgment but pass from death into life. That's absolute. That's it. Not on him that make us believe, but he that believeth. See? Now, we've got to have an absolute, and he is that absolute, and he and his word are the same. We can't separate them. Yes? If the red light was out, we'd have a traffic jam. Oh, my bad one, dude. There must be an absolute. And so, you know, it's got so today, Old The trouble of it is, is what's gotten this great big traffic jam we've got into. It's kind of a rude way to express it, but yet, you know what I'm trying to say. Notice, the reason we've got into there is because that every one of us make our own absolute. See, we have our own absolute. Each church has its absolute. <laughs> each group has its own absolute. And they say, each one of them said, we are the truth, the way. We got it all. You ain't got nothing to do with it. You're in a minority. We, we're the greatest group. And people do that. That's You oughtn't to do that. Until It's almost like it was in the days of judges where every man does in his own sight what's right. See, he thinks in his own sight he does. But that you can't do that. There's too many different ways. See, and there's really only one way. And Christ is that way. And Christ and His Word is the same thing.
1: Amen. Now,
0: see, you've got to have something that we can come to and say, this is it. And it can be proven that it's, that's what it is. See, in, in the days of the judges, the reason every man done in his own sight what he thought was right is because in them days, the Word of God was precious. They didn't have it. And the prophets, there was none. There was no prophets in them days to stand to the Word and direct Israel. So the Word wasn't coming. So every man did what was right in his own sight. And that's about where we've gotten to again today, brethren. See, every man in his own sight. Say, well, now, if I want to take the golden rule, if I want to do this or some religion, I I believe my religions do so-and-so. And And you, uh, you find that. Everybody finds that. They think, well, I go to Sunday school on Sunday morning. I'm as good as anybody else. Well, that, that's good. You can still go uh, go to Sunday school and, and be good. That's all right. But if you haven't got something little more than going to Sunday school, someone said, I keep the Ten Commandments. One keeps the Sabbath day. The other does something else. And so we just got a place that everybody thinks, well, uh, they just do what they think is right. But that don't make it right. Not by a long way. It doesn't. We're going to find that out in a few minutes, see? That it doesn't make it right. God's got a way. The Bible said there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof is a ways of death. And there's nobody who wants to die. That's separation. We don't want to separate from God. And we don't want, we want to live. Life is the greatest treasure that that man can have. And now we've got to find what is life. And he said, my word is life. That's the life that you should have. The Word living in you. A lot. I seen this in my early conversion when I was just a boy. I seen that. And I knew that I needed an absolute. So I read the Word of God and I seen that this Word was Christ. And I I wanted that for my absolute. So I took him at his Word. And I heard him say there, If ye abide me, my words abide in you, you can ask what you will, and it will be given unto you. Now, what a promise. Now, where are we today, brethren? Where are we? If ye abide me and my words in you, then you can ask what you will, and it'll be done for you. Now, that, that's Christ's own word. But what the word has to abide in you. If ye abide in me in Christ and my word in you, how do we get into Christ? By baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then, that's one part. But then, if ye abide in me, and then my words abide in you, then you can ask what you will. But you have to have both Christ and Word, and you really can't have one without the other. Right? Because it's the self-same thing. You can't have the Father without having the Son. You can't have the Son without having the Holy Ghost. It's the self-same Spirit. So then you see, you, you can't. You can't do it any other way than to take God's provided absolute for our lives. Now, I'm tied to him by his word. He's my absolute, and I found that it's great and precious to, to live by Now, many churches, let's, let me talk about an absolute. To the Catholic Church, the Pope is their absolute. And no matter what comes, what goes, what somebody else says, what the Bible says, that don't mean a thing. I had a discussion not long ago with a priest. He came over to ask me about I baptized a young girl. And she would uh, married a Catholic boy, was turning Catholic. And he asked me how I baptized her, and I told him. And uh, we got to talking about it. And uh, he said, you know, the Catholic church used to baptize by mercy like that. And I said, when? And he said, back in the Bible time. And I said, uh, do you mean to say that you believe that the early Christians like... Uh, Peter, James, and John, and they were was Catholics? He said, they were. I said, then I'm more of a Catholic than you are. I said, I'm an old-fashioned Catholic. See, not one that, that takes this new trend of the thing that they do today and call it religion. Well, he said, you see, God uh, gave his power over to Peter, and, and that's the church. And uh, the God is in his church. I said, there's no scripture in the Bible to say that. There's no promise that says it. The Bible said, God is in the Word, right? God is in the Word. The Word is true. And I've seen there in the Bible where it said that whosoever shall add one word to it or take one word from it, the same will be taken his part out of the book of life. Now, I know that was an absolute, that Word could not change, so I accepted that. And I said, now, Lord, let me hide it in my heart that I'll keep it and be reverent with it. And whatever it is, I'll walk, and you guide me. And it's been my absolute. Now, to the Protestant church, many times in a diocese, a bishop's word, though will be contrary to the word of God. It becomes the absolute to that bunch of Christians. No matter what the word says, if the bishop says so, that settles it. The Archbishop of Canterbury. no matter what the... Uh, uh, the English people that go to this Anglican church, no matter what they think, if the archbishop says a certain thing, that's it. Well, now you say, that's too bad. But you know, now wait a minute, we can come right down home to Pentecost if you'd like to. <laughs> you sure can, but I, I'm just hoping you're hitting the sidelines to see what I mean. See? You say, here's a brother filled with the Holy Spirit, and he, uh, the Lord is moving with him. Well, go ask the presbyter if we can, uh, first if we can have him, what kind of a card does he pack? You see? That's the absolute then to that church. That's right. We might say amen about the Catholics and about the, the, the Presbyterian and so forth, but what about when he comes home? Yes. See? We, got a, we got a false absolute. There's nothing higher in the Bible in the church than the elder of that church. The sovereign church and the Holy Spirit works any way he wants to. He dwells among his people. But we have another absolute some gentle overseer somewhere that tells us what we can do. And if it doesn't just cope with what they think or something like that, then that's out. That's not of God. Oh my, what a horrible thing it is. What a twist we got into. No wonder we're out here crying for revival and the sky's full of Pentecostal power and we can't get to it. Right is because we've rejected God's absolute right. The revelation of Christ upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell can't prevail against it. It's an absolute in the word of God is his absolute. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed this to you and upon this rock I'll build my church. A real absolute. But you see, we take something else for an absolute. If our denomination speaks against the word, then you take the denomination's word for it. You shouldn't do it. I'm trying to make myself clear on my convictions. And at the closing of this meeting, I'm trying to tell you the reason that I've acted and said the things I did because long ago, I've taken Christ for my absolute. The first church I joined was a Baptist church, and I love those brethren. They were fine. But when it comes to the place that I was to do something that was contrary to the scripture, God's word was first because I was tied to that word. Right. Nothing against when Dr. Davis come to me and wanted me to do a certain thing that absolutely was unscriptural. And I took it to him, he said, that was for another age, not for this. And I said, I am tied to the Word. Let every man's Word be a lie and mine be the truth. That was my absolute end. That's been 30 years ago and, or better than I'm still on that same Word and I don't want to live and die. That being my absolute, upon that condition, I accept Christ. And now it's not because that it, you want to be different. Not because, because this week I've said some very stinging things. And if I did that, it's to be different Then I need to go to the absolute. I need a, a repentance at the altar. But how could you call me to repent? And I've told you the truth. That's right. And God's backed it up and showed it was the truth. By the word and the word living. See, that's exactly true. Now, that's the reason I have said and do the things that I do, it might be contrary to our different organizations and systems. It's not because I want to take sides with one or take sides with the other. Because I sold out to one thing. When I got saved, uh, Christ began to deal in my heart. I went out to the Catholic Church, was my people were Irish and Catholic, and I noticed the way he said that. It didn't sound right. And I'd go from place to place, and finally, he said, God is in his church. Well, if God's in his church, which church is that? Here's Well, they say it's it's our church. Or which one of the Catholic churches? You remember, they're all broke up too. Yes, sir. All different. Some married, some don't, some Greek, some Orthodox. And, uh, well, there's just different kinds. Roman, some accepts the Pope and some doesn't. See, they're broke up also. Which one of those churches ends right? Where can you place any faith? If you're a Catholic and believe the church, then which church is it? Which one of your Catholic churches is it? If you're Protestant, you say, well, well which, which one of them is right? Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran, Presbyterian? What well, which is right? God is right. His Word is right. Others are not right. If it's, that's right as long as they stay with the Word. But when you leave the Word, then you leave God. Because God's watching over His Word to vindicate it. He's got to make it real. He's got to make it act. That's why you people are hungering for a revival. It's time for these things to be here. If you ever believe me to know what I was talking about, you accept that. The hour is here now. But the trouble of it is, we got so many absolutes, we don't know where we're tied to. Now I feel religious. (laughs) Right. I want to get that out of my system. Right. We got so many ties, one pulling this way and one that way, and one against the other. How do the people know what to do? and the pressure of the Holy Spirit coming down, trying to find a place to move Himself into, that He can work word by word, word by word. Now you Pentecostal people believe when the gifts begin to restore to the church of the uh, baptism of the Holy Ghost and speaking with tongues, and you stayed right with that. You believe that. Now that's all right, but why did you stop there? Why did you stop there? When Israel was on the journey to the Promised Land, and when they stopped in the wilderness, they stayed there for 40 years and just a day's journey out of every a promise, the a whole complete promised land. And the Pentecostal people, when they crossed over dancing and shouting like Mary and them, when they hit the wilderness, they'd done the same thing that Moses did, or uh, not, that uh, Israel did. They wanted a law. Grace had already provided everything. They wanted something so they could have doctors and PhDs and LLDs. And they got it. And they journeyed there until every one of them died. And God took two men and sent them over, Caleb and Joshua. Well, there's only about only about 40 miles of journeys all they had to walk. Well, they're just a day or two away from it. But they waited back here 40 years till they got all this stuff out of them. Till all them people died out. Well, it's just about time for a change now. We started organizing, doing the very same thing that we come out of, and brought it right back and making this a tie post and this an absolute, and if they don't believe it just exactly this way, bless God they're not even in it at all. So what have you done? Set still and made members. What does the members know? Turn into the word of God and they see something happen that's exactly the word of God? Well, they don't know which way to turn. They go ask some bishop or some presbyter, what's this and what's that? Well, puts the in mind of a bunch of incubator chickens. Uh, I always felt sorry for an incubator chicken. He ain't church, church, and ain't got no mammy to go to. He was turned out by a machine. That's where a lot of these preachers in this day turned out by a machine. <laughs> about God and don't know what he is. He was absolutely he was tied to God, and God was the Word. And God proved it by him. But there we are today, see? We got too many absolutes. And that's the right absolute. See, there's only one way. That's Jesus. Jesus said, "I am the way." And Jesus and the Word is the same thing. And now, if God has prophesied in this last days of what comes to pass, He promised these things in the last days. Jesus promised, and as it was in the days of Sodom, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. All the scriptures that He promised for the last days, and we're living right in that time. And God. The Holy Spirit is moving upon the people. And the only thing you want to do is dance in the Spirit and stick and tongues. That's all you know about. That's all the seeds has been planted. What we need is a full gospel planted in a full heart with a full power. They bring a full absolute. What's the matter? Do you ever think what Israel done in the wilderness there? They married wives. They raised children and crops, so forth. Kissed the babies and buried the dead and married the young. God blessed them. And they prospered. But they were still out of the promised land. And that's the way Pentecost is today. Forty years ago, you wouldn't have thought your, your mother and father would have had a spasm if they would thought you'd have gotten this kind of condition. Surely. Them old timers had tied to that absolute and held on to that word regardless of what it was. There's no denomination, presbyters, district man. or bishops are going to tell them anything about it. They walked in the Spirit and went out and done miracles and performed things. They had a Jesus Street and meetings going everywhere. Brush Harbor every meeting. And well, you can't even get a man on the street corner anymore to testify. <laughs> See, what have we got? Same thing Israel had. Now rose up a fellow there at the end time and begin to point at forty years, there's a whole land full of blessings over there. And the whole cause an hour had arrived that God was going to take him over. The hours arrived now. And he wants to get a church ready. I'm going to say this with a prophetic voice. I trust. I'm not saying in the name of the Lord, but I believe this is true. The rapture, you'll be talking about the rapture when the rapture's been gone a long time.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, you'll be saying, bless God the rapture's come it's done past. Didn't Jesus say about John, what does the scribe say to John first, or how did he say Elias must come? He said he's already come and you didn't know it, but you've done this exactly what you said you'd do. One day there will come a judgment up on earth. And the first thing you know, you're going to find people here looking for the rapture, they've been gone a long time ago. It'll be such a minority. Lord you said, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man, as it was in the days of Lot. We think this great big bunch of cannon fodder here, atomic ash, is going. It'll only go if it's got the life of Christ in it, because God will raise it up. That's right. There'll be a rapture, you think, two or three people here, and one over here, and somewhere else somebody come up missing, thought they run away from home. And, Better be careful, he might be gone. <laughs> Looking for a rapture and it already passed. Now that isn't contrary to the Word. No, it isn't. He'd come like a thief in the night. See? they will be gone before you know it. God places his, his great power out in the church. He don't take a great big group in. It takes a minority. You're not, little flock, at your Father's goodwill. You're just holding to the absolute. <laughs> That's right. But the confirmation of God working in it. So we see we're living in a terrific time. And that's why that pressure's up on the church. When you want to see something, you want to see something. But now, how can God ever watch over his word to vindicate it and the person disbelieving that word and won't receive it in their heart? How can the sun shine upon a seed and bring it to life when it hasn't got any life in it? It's got to be a germatized seed. So a creed is a germatized to make more members. But the word is germatized to make saints. Make believers right. God works to perform His words. He, he watches over to vindicate it. Yes, sir. Now, now, certainly the Catholic Church takes their anchor, their uh, North star, and for their achievements. And it's uh, what the Pope says is an infallibility to the Roman end uh, of the Catholic Church. The Protestants, the bishop, some creed that's against our creed, and some of them is against the. Uh, different things are denominational beliefs and so forth. You know, I feel like Paul said here, I'm looking at a scripture in Acts 20 and 24, he said, none of these things move me. (laughs) Amen!
1: Why? For he was anchored.
0: He had an absolute. Since I met him on the road to Damascus, if I could talk to Paul, he turned me around, (laughs) started me back in the right way. I was off the Word. He put me back on the Word. Yes, sir. Listen, I feel that way too. I feel that any man that's born of the Spirit of God that loves God and loves His Word, God has a purpose in that. God had a purpose in turning Paul around. Did not He say, I'm going to show in Him His glory? God had a purpose when He saved me. I'm determined to do His will. <laughs> not add to it or take away from it. Revelation 22:19 19 said, Whosoever shall do it, well, be as part taken from the book of life. I'm determined to never add one thing of my own opinion to that word. I'm determined to read it just the way it is and, and ask God as I open in my heart and receive it, work it through me, Lord, that others might see. May it become salty in a, a something real that others might see. Yes, sir. Now, if he is our absolute, there can be no other absolute. You can't have, say, well, my my church is my absolute. My creed is my absolute. If Christ is your absolute, you believe Christ's word. There's no other way to do it. You know, I think about the time that He saved me. I'll tell you why I stand the way I do. Not to be different. I made myself clear on that. I hope I have. But I, when Christ saved me, there were millions of people groping in sin. When He saved me, He had a purpose in doing it. He had a purpose in saving me. You just seen an ignoramus like me and, and, and somehow or another when there's plenty of smart man, more able man, man that could do it, me, earth, not even a hardly as seventh grade education, when there's a man who studied in school and got degrees and doctors of, of divinity and philosophy and so forth, but when Christ saved me, he had a purpose in doing it and it never saved me. Listen brethren, I love you and you know that, but I'm determined in my heart that I'll never back on that word. I'll stay right there. That's my absolute. I've been tied to all these years. He had a purpose in doing it. Right. And I aim to see that purpose, too, to stay with that word. Not to be different, not to be mean, but to be honest and sincere with God. That's right. Now, you know, Christ's death had an absolute to it. Everybody was afraid of death, even the great prophet Job. Many other people were afraid of death, the fear. And man always feared it. But when Christ came and took death upon him, he became an absolute to those who feared death. In Hebrews 2, 14, 15, he took the form of man to die like a man, to pay the penalty. But on Easter he came forth with the keys of death and hell. He had conquered it. He called, He said, Fear not, I'm he that was a dead and alive forevermore. And our absolute is on him. Now try. In Him, and He was the perfect Word of God. He was so perfect that when He spoke His Word, it created, it stopped the winds, it, it made biscuits and cooked fish just by His Word. Amen. See, there was no hindrance. He is so perfect, He said, the Word and He were one. He was uh, God's love. In John three sixteen, produced a body, not born after sex and under the fall, but was born by a created power of God That God himself lived in this body and projected his word out. And God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, making an absolute for any believer. And he went to his grave with a load of sin upon him, and paid the penalty, and rose up on Easter morning with the keys of death and hell. It's an absolute to any man that fears death. Let me say this, I don't know how many more messages I have to preach before I go. If you're a real believer in God and been born again, don't be scared of death. It's the best thing that can happen to you almost. Paul said to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Certainly, it's, don't never fear death. Second Thessalonians, we're caught up with our loved ones to meet him in the air. What a promise, what an absolute that it is to believe in Christ, to have my heart say amen to every word in his book. What he says, I believe it too. That I know that the Holy Spirit is my compass because it guides me to his Absolute, his North Star. To him, the North Star. He's my Absolute, my sun, my post, my North Star, Oh my He's so much different from others I see. Always there's something pulling, some string you've got to pull. But in this year you pull nothing. The only thing it's brought out on you, it's the Absolute. Christ is our Absolute. Look how much different his Word is. That word has been from old. The New and Old Testament coincides with one another like a dovetail piece of board coming together. There's nothing out of order. Many men wrote that book, that's 66 books of the Bible. They wrote it in a space of hundreds and hundreds of years apart, one not knowing the other. And what happened? You can't make one word contradict the other one. Right. That's the reason I've heard people say the Bible contradicts itself. I'll preach across this United States for a year straight and let the ministers take up offerings and give them their bit to you, if you'll show me where God's Word contradicts itself. You're right. Mm-hmm. right. I made that offer for years. Nobody's stuck it up yet. <laughs> no. Because it does not contradict it. It's your own little peanut brain that you're, you're trying to make it say something that it doesn't say. Right? Oh, God's Word doesn't contradict itself. He is, it's de- now, denominations will contradict one another. They're like these other stars, you see. They'll float around every time like the world. They turn in the world and around the world, and the world turning gets them all out of whack. <laughs> but it never turns away from God's North Star, His Word, where the compass points to it. It's always the same Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the absolute. That's the place. You can look at this year and today, it's here and tomorrow, it something else, next day it's over somewhere else. That's always wishy-washy in and out, out and out, and in and in and so forth. But you put your heart right on God's Word, and heavens and earth will pass away, but that never shall pass away, that's the absolute, that's the solid foundation, that's the, that's my compass, my sail, that's my guide, that's my life, is upon that absolute of God's Word. I'm tied there eternally with Him. Amen. Others can do what they want to. That's up to them. But for me, it's this absolute. I want that for my absolute. Might shift and turn and so forth, but not His Word. It'll always remain the same. He ever remains true to His Word. Now, I'll make Him your absolute. In the times of my trouble, back there when I lost my family and my life almost was taken from me, my little girl died, me praying for her, and after I've been on the streets day and night preaching and praying and trying to do what was right, you've heard my life story, many of it, read it. And might come to a place that I might see my wife. Die right in my, my, me holding her hand. I, my little baby took sick a few hours after that, and I got down there and prayed. Well, all was in me and looked like a black sheep lay down and refused to answer my prayer. Then Satan come to me and said, you see, you're only about 20 years old, and here you, what all you've done, and you, you've neglected yourself, and you've done all these things, you, you forfeit all your young life about when you should have been out having a, a big time, like the rest of the young folks, and here you're still on the street corner crying and praying. You went all night at a time in the hospitals, hour after hour, and when it comes to your own blood and flesh, he refuses to hear you. That was one time I was tempted, but I haven't remembered. back, I got an absolute, though he slay me, yet I'll trust him, I don't care what comes or goes. The state senator of Indiana. Sam sir he come to the, he's come a tabernacle. He's deceased now, about two years. Fine man, and he used to he's coming down the road. I was going up to pray up at the grave where wife and baby were laying. It was right after the thirty-seven flood. And I had on a pair of boots and I was walking up the road crying. And little Billy and my son was just about to die too, and the doctors had done said there's not hardly anything more to do for him, and, and he had some kind of a dysentery and he couldn't stop an infection. and I was crying, praying, and and I thought, well, I was still holding on to God. I was going up the road, crying. I thought I'd go up and listen. I used to sit up there every evening by the grave, and I'd hear an old dove come down there and go to singing. Now you're the pines blowing the, the, the winds down, uh, through the winds through the pines rather, and it sounded like it'd say, "There's a land beyond the river, they call the sweet forever. We only reach this shore by faith degree. One by one, we gain the portal there to dwell with the immortal." Some day they ring the golden bells for you and me. I'd stand there, cry, and I'd look up, and I'd say to the wife and baby, I'd say, I say, I know that you're not laying here. This is just where I planted the remains that I held in my arms. But somewhere beyond the river, you're there. So, uh, but see, I-, I was going up to that place one day to set up the grave. Had on a pair of boots, walking along, an old car come up behind me. Stopped. It's Mister Eisler, the state senator. He jumped out of the car, pulled around, come back, put his arms around me. Said, "Billy, I sure feel sorry." I said, "That's all right, brother sir. And he said, I, "I'm oughtn't to stop, but he seen I was weeping." I said, "That's all right, Mister Isler. And he said, "I'm going to ask you something, son." I said, "All right, go ahead and ask me." He said, "I've seen you stand in that pulpit. I thought you'd die. I've seen you fast till you be so peaked. I feel sorry for you." And said, "In and out, and in and out, day and night." He said, "And then your wife and baby, and everything. see you look at them things." He said. What does Christ mean to you now? I said, Thou the stream of all my comfort, more than life to me. Whom have I on earth beside thee, or whom in heaven but thee? See, I found that absolute. That's something that helped me when the storm was on. Someone said to me, said, Billy, did you keep your religion during the time of your trouble? I said, No, it kept me. See? That's what it was. I was tied to Him in the hours when my strength was gone and there's nothing I could do. My anchor held within the bale of His Word, where sometimes I don't understand it. Sometimes I think, what makes me do the things I do? There's something inside me, pulsating me, I can't keep from doing it, brother. I come to Phoenix the other day with a determination I'd never strike again at any organization. The first thing you know, a vision struck before me the first night, and I seen myself torn towards the desert. Something turned me around, showed me a great big old cold church. Said, "Stay there before you go there." Oh my! There's something I can't keep from doing. It's an absolute that's on the inside of me. It's more than my life to me. Yes, I can. The more change than I could change the color of my eyes. I couldn't do it. Now, by his grace, I'm tied to him, the one that said, like he did in the days of Moses, I am. Moses, you know, he had an absolute. When he was down there, he had all the theology a man could have. And he tried hard. as a military man. He looked out the windows, and by faith, listen, now remember, by faith, Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He had faith in what he was doing. He absolutely believed it. He knew that he was raised up for that purpose. But he failed. He went out to raise sheep, and he failed. But one day, back on the back side of the desert, he come to an absolute. He come to a place where he met something that was real. That was a bush on fire. He didn't want to take the leaves and go down to the laboratory to see the reason they didn't burn. He just sat down by. Take off your shoes, Moses. I'll go down and ask my pastor, what about this? He didn't have time to do that. He must take off his shoes. And when he heard in there, there was a the word of the living God that was in that bush. I am there I am. I remember my promise that I made with Abraham. I remember my covenant. And I'm come down to deliver them. <clears throat> now, then he had an absolute. He was tired to that as long as he lived. And it took him to heaven. He was tied to that absolute. No matter what any of the theologians said, he didn't need anybody to explain it to him. He noted. He had met God. And the voice, that big pillar of fire that led him through the wilderness to come on to the promised land, that pillar of fire in there had a voice in it. And that voice was the voice of God that vindicated the Word. Amen. I hope you're not asleep now. (laughs) Notice that pillar of fire spoke the word and vindicated to make it show He quoted the scripture. I am the God that made the promise to Abraham. I'm the one. That's what's the matter with Israel. That's what's the matter down there. I remember my promise. And I've come down to see that it's done. God only uses man to work with. He doesn't use organization. He doesn't use machinery. He could have done it, but he chose a man. That's right. He could chose the stars, the wind, or anything to preach the gospel, but he chose man. He does not change himself; he always the same. He chose blood for salvation, education, or nothing else will ever take his place. Blood is God's appropriate way for salvation. That's true. Now I want you to notice he can't change. When he talked to Moses, he said, "Moses, I'm sending you down there, but before you go, I want to prove to you that I am God." So what you got in your hand there? Said a stick. He said, throw it down, and it turned into a serpent, and he picked it up again to come back a stick. Oh, when Moses come to the place where the impersonators raised up, trying to impersonate. When he threw his rod down, and said, here, Pharaoh, I'll show you what God told me to do. I'll throw this rod down and watch it turn to a serpent. And then Pharaoh said, oh, I've got them guys too. My denomination can produce that. And so they come over and got some impersonators. What did Moses do? He stood right there. Why? He had met God. He knowed that was God. He had done his part. It's God's time to move in. He stayed right there. The Bible said the same thing we'll repeat in the last days. For as Jameis to Jamus we stood Moses. It's true. But he stood there. And then he saw the hand of God come down and that snake. God up the rest of them. you ever notice what become of them sticks? They were in the belly of this one stick. Moses led the children of Israel through the wilderness with that same stick with all them snakes inside of it, I guess. Why? You know why? When Moses met this burning bush, you know, that burning bush proved to be God. That light, that pillar of fire, that proved to be God. And I believe that God come in Moses. Because watch him in his creative power. Moses shined them with the fire. You know where I'm going now, don't you? Certainly. Like Pentecost. Notice, Moses had the fire. The fire was in Moses because whatever Moses said, it wasn't Moses, it was God speaking. And he performed his sign because the pillar of fire left the bush and come on Moses. Amen. Oh, brother, do you see what I mean? That same Jesus that went up, come back again on the day of Pentecost. In the form of the Holy Ghost and fire. It should be up on the people doing the same thing He did because he said He would do it. Where are we at? See what I mean? Moses, the fire was in Moses, it left the bush. Come on, Moses. We try to put the fire in the furnace. That's about all we got. What we need is Holy Spirit fire. That same pillar of fire that led Israel. Sure. Oh, you say now, brother Bram? I'll be careful about that. Now wait a minute. When Paul, the great theologian, had, had plenty of experience, but on the road to Damascus, and he was stricken down, he looked up, and there was that pillar of fire. He knew that was God. you would seen it vindicated in the Bible. It was God, and he called him Lord. He said, "Lord, who are you? What can I do?" He said, "I'm Jesus." That's telling it. Paul had an absolute. He knew that the God of the Old Testament was Jesus Christ of the New. There, he was anchored and nothing should move him. Sure, he had the vindication. Why? The same pillar of fire that led his people out of Egypt into Israel, into um, Palestine, that same pillar of fire was standing there claiming to be Jesus Christ. Then he knew where he was at. Then he was ready. As soon as he got healed and filled with the Holy Ghost, he's ready to go. See, but he had an absolute. He stayed with him. Before gripping all the great men of them days and women, he stood there pleading for the Word. Why, he know that the Word was God. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? Paul. Sure, he was inspired to do it. But why? That pillar of fire that met him was in him. That's the reason he can write. That's the reason Moses wrote the first four books of the Bible because that pillar of fire, how would he ever know how creation started? How had he ever know about the others? Because that same pillar of fire that was in him, that was on the bush, come off the bush, was on him. And it was vindicated and proved that it was. Paul and I wanted to start an organization against it, but it didn't work. It failed. Moses had that absolute. Paul had the same absolute, the same pillar of fire, the same Holy Spirit, the same God. Not that I was, I, I will be, that I am. Present tense always Joshua had an absolute. that's when he met the chief captain, the host of Israel's chief captain, and he told him to march around the walls. there's all fortified in oh man, you talk about hard to get in. Hard to have a revival in there because no one to let him in. there's all closed up on him. but he met the chief captain, he told him what to do. just put on full armor of God and keep marching. Amen. The walls would fall down. And when the people shouted and the trumpets sounded, that was his absolute. He went right in for his campaign man, right into to Jericho. Sure, he had an absolute, the word of the, from the chief captain, John, when he was a young man and he knowed he had train, he was going to train, he was going to have to introduce the Messiah. He was the one. He never knew who he was. He was somewhere. And John knowed that he couldn't just take a seminary experience. He had to have an absolute. He had to have something to be absolutely the truth. Now, brethren, I want to ask you something. Ministers, not to be different, not to be mean, but to be honest. Don't you think this is a day in all this chaos that we're living in? we got to be, we got to be sure about this thing. There's too many differences. And John knew he had to be absolutely sure. So he never went to his father's school. And nothing said he went back to learn to be a priest. But he went to the wilderness and was in the wilderness until he's calling forth. Then he'd come around and the crowds were standing there. He was so sure that the Messiah was in his day because he was the one that was ordained to introduce this Messiah because Malachi 3 said, so I'll send my messenger before my face and he'll prepare the way. John knew where he was standing, no matter how many priests would say, you mean the tell of time? Well, we got up here, the daily sacrifice would be done away. He said, there'll come a time when the Lamb of God will come that'll take away the sacrifice. Standing in mud with whiskers over his face that you'd run away from your house today. There was, See, God's not in class and glamour as we try to put him in, and we Pentecostal people. God is in humility. There he was standing, watching, and he was introducing. He, he said he is he so sure that he was there. He said, there's one standing among you who you don't even know. Ooh, what a rebuke.
1: There's one among you right now who you
0: don't know. I wonder if it sounds sacrilegious if I uh, mimic him for a minute. (laughs) Maybe I better not. One among you
1: that you don't know.
0: You claim you know him, but you don't. Golgotha, they killed the very God that they claimed they were serving. They didn't know him. John said, there's one among you, and you don't know him, and one day. He looked out there and he absolutely seen a dove coming down from heaven and a voice. Nobody else saw it. Nobody else heard it. But he saw it, and it was an absolute. Not Professor Jones or somebody else. It was up on who now shall see the Spirit descending and remaining on. He is the one that will baptize with the Holy Ghost and fire. That's the divine vindication of God making it so. It was an absolute. There was no no question in John's mind. There it was, just exactly what God said would take place, there it was. So that dove upon that ordinary man was was John's absolute. He knew it was the truth. Now, I'm going to close with saying these few words. Don't you think we need an absolute? Don't you think we need something that's real? Sure. We need something that something that you can say this is it. Put your hands to it. This is it. We can see how we go to do it. Everybody says, this is it. This is it. But that's got to be scriptural an absolute. Let me just give you a little personal thing before I close. Brother sister, when I'm taking my choice to whether I want to remain with the Baptist Church, or what is just as good as any, any of them to me, just a bunch of men put together, which is all right. But when it comes to a time they had to tell me that I had to compromise with the Word, now that I ain't made out of that. No. See, the Word is first. Yeah. Well, it said, if you don't do that, you can no longer belong to the Baptist Church. I said, I don't, it isn't the Baptist Church that saved me. It was Jesus Christ that yeah. saved me. He is my ultimate. He's my stand. He's my absolute. He's my tie post. There I stand. Now, if I've got the wrong thing, then God will never confirm it. But if you have got the right thing, God is obligated to confirm it. There you are. And that's the proof of it. If it's right, God's obligated to prove it's right. If it's wrong, you'll have nothing to do with it. So I remember actually my first revival. I was down on the river baptizing. I took the 17th person out. My wife, a little girl, standing on the bank at that time. I had never been married to my first wife. It's dead. And there she was on the bank. And there's all standing up, hundreds and hundreds of people. Yes, four or five thousand, maybe more, up and down the river bank. Real hot afternoon in June. And I walked out in the water and I took a candidate about the seventeenth person to baptize them. I had around five hundred after my revival to be baptized. And I walked out in the water with this person. I started to raise my hand, I said, Heavenly Father, is I and about that time something shook me. I thought, Where is it? And I looked around, and everybody had their heads bowed I was as far as I could see, way back up on the banks. There was all cars and people piled over the walls and things. Now looking in, I heard a voice say, Look up. Uh it's free to look up. I was just a kid. We got the picture of it. I said, Father, some said, Look up. I put my hand down, this young fellow was the baptized, looked at me in the face. He said, Well, Brother Bill. I said, Did you hear that? He said, No. I said, Heavenly Father, he said, Look up! I looked up like this, and coming down from the skies, come a pillar of light, whirling around. A voice coming from it, roaring, coming down, said as John the Baptist was sent to forerun, the first coming of Jesus Christ. So are you sent! Oh, God! I watched that light. I've seen it since a little boy. I tried to tell people. They said, You're out of your mind. But the scientific research, the late George J. Lacey, when he examined, when they took the picture of it, there it was just the same. It showed in the picture. Scientific proof proves that it's right. To me, it's never told me one thing, but it's exactly on this scripture. When I seen that fire, and heard it, and seen everybody screaming, fainting, and falling, looking there, important to that light. The paper, the Louisville paper packed a great article that went on the Associated Press all through Canada. network where mystic light appears over a local Baptist minister while baptizing. Mystic, hard to understand. How many times had they took it? Practically every person here, I guess, got it in your home. It's Sierra in Washington, D.C., copyrighted as the only supernatural being was ever photographed, scientifically photographed. What was it? That same light, that same voice, spoken that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same voice to me. It's the same pillar of fire. Was that going because it's doing the same works? Jesus said, I come from God. And I go to God. A little while the world sees me no more. He came. He said, when he was shown to us at the feast, he said, I am the I am. You say, well, you're not over 50 years old, The Jew said. and You say, you saw Abraham. He said, before Abraham was, I am. There he was. What was it? That light, that fire, that God, that spirit. God is a burning fire. He is a light. And there it was, in manifested in Jesus Christ, it returned when Jesus rose up from the grave. But on the day he met Paul, coming down to Damascus, he had turned back to God again, for he said, I'm Jesus who you persecute. Brother, don't be asleep! Don't you see that that same God's among us right now, proving himself that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever? That's my absolute He's never told me one thing. If he told me one thing that's contrary to the Scripture, I've never had nobody stand before me yet and d- dispute it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the
0: fellow said he was going to one time, and he didn't do it, he didn't show up, he had better sense than I thought he did. He knows better to do that. You know, the fellow that raised up one time in a meeting to do it, was paralyzed, and packed him out. I've never had to worry a thing because I believe my Absolute is the Word of God, It's made now. manifest. If this, I'll put my soul and body. Why? He's never told me one thing but was absolutely scriptural. He's never said one thing to me before any of you. I'll take any of you to charge. Has he ever told you anything in the name of the Lord But what comes to pass? Exactly. What is it? It's upon this rock, upon this word. That's the one where I get the revelation. It's from him who reveals that I'm uneducated. I don't try to study. I don't try to know it. I just do as he tells me. Then when he shows me, I look here and there it is. I didn't even see it. And here it is. And it manifests itself. That's my absolute. It's kept me down through these years. Brethren, it's helped me when I had no other way to be helped. I want to die by it. When I come to the time to die, I hope, like Moses did, I see that rock standing, and I don't want to step on it and have some pallbearers to pack me away. Until then, I'm going to live true to that word, so help me, God, because that's my absolute. With malice towards none, with love and grace towards all, if that isn't right, God could strike me dead standing here in this pulpit. I have malice against nobody. I love everybody, and don't you know if you ever read First John 4:17 that you have to have correction like that to make genuine love at the time of judgment? Amen. It's not to be different. It's love. Amen. Love is strict, and love chastens. A man would let his wife go out and run around all night with some drunk coming next morning and say, "Yes, dearie, I hope you had a nice time. You're a poor excuse of a man. Any man let his wife out there and wear her shorts and these little old bathing suits, bikinis, or whatever it is, and lay out amongst these people. I got little hopes of even being a man. That's right. right? Man's not measured by how much his biceps are, how big your muscles is. He's measured by his character. That's the Zecherite. Character comes from the Word of God in that alone. And any preacher that claims to be a preacher or deny that Word. His little character of God there to me. Amen. Maybe some hopes if you listen a while. <laughs> yeah. Now I don't want to get critical with you. I love you. And I mean that, but that's my absolute, brethren. This word, thus saith the Lord. You know that's true. I'm looking around for Brother Carlson to see if he is still sitting here. I guess he's gone. I was talking a while ago, he was right there in Chicago in that bunch of the Greater Chicago Ministerial Association. Wow, two or three days, is going to pull me in there and comb me over the coals. Yeah, on some things that I was teaching about this and about these things. And three nights before it happened, uh, the Holy Spirit woke me up and said, go over there and stand by that window. I went, and it was lightning flashing. He said, they've got a trap set for you, but don't fail to go. I'll be with you. I talked Brother Carlson, Brother Tommy Hicks, all of you know him. We got the tape of it right here. And uh, they wanted me to go the next morning to eat breakfast with him, we went out to town and country. And we sat down there, and I thought I'd just comb Tommy. his good friend of mine, precious brother. And I said, Tommy, I got to meet them ministers. I said, You're a doctor of divinity. My little ignorant way of talking, I said, I couldn't meet them fellas. Won't you do that for me? I've done them any favor. He said, Oh, I couldn't do it, Brother Branham. Brother Carson looked at one another. I said, You think you're hiding that from me? I know why you won't do it. I said, Listen, it's because that association's got something that they're going to question me on. And they both look like they could drop through the floor. And when they did, I said, Certainly it is. Let me tell you, Brother Hank, he's sitting here somewhere now. He's right around here. And so he's sitting around here. I said, Brother Hank, are you letting testify? And so uh, we just got through talking about it a while ago. And there, I said, Brother Hank, listen, you've got that hotel room rented, have you? But thus saith the Lord, they're going to turn you down. He said, Brother Brown, I've got my deposit. But I don't care what you got up. You're not going to get it. We're going into a place that's got a green room in it. This is a brown. And Dr. Mead's going to sit down here and so-and-so, and which is exactly where they'd be sitting. And I said, I don't want you to try to pull any punches for me. Just introduce me to the audience and let me do the rest. He said, and that morning when he came up there, every man sitting just exactly. They canceled the place out, and he had to get the town and country place out there to, to get the place. A brown room, just exactly. There said Dr. Mead and all the rest of them, just the place, place. I looked over to him, and Brother um, Tommy Hicks looked at me. <laughs> He said, Brother Bram, i would be like fainting. And he said, I said, don't worry. And so Brother Carlson got up and said, now I know a lot of you men is going to disagree with Brother Bram and things like that. But said, there's one thing, he's not afraid to stand here. And he said, now I just turn it over to him. And I said, now each one of you, here's what you got against me. And I called over four or five different things. I said, I want some man to take his Bible and come here and stand by my side and disprove it.
1: Yeah.
0: Certainly if you can't do it, then stay off of my back. <laughs> right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. <laughs> standing there in Bombay, India, on the same thing. A blind man standing there, Magis and everything else, sitting out there, and they, the holy man and the Mohammedans and Buddhists and everything. i done seen a vision. This man was going to get his sight. I said, let one of you people out there come up here and give him his sight. I was entertained today by 17 different religions, and every one of you denying Jesus Christ. I said, if your religion is so great, come give this man his sight. What would you say? He's a sun worshiper like the Holy Spirit, but they thought it was telepathy, you see. And uh, I was reading their mind. And I said, well, surely the God of creation, the man wants to do right, surely that the God of creation will bring you back into his right state. I wouldn't have said that for nothing if I hadn't seen it happen, a vision. But I know, then. See, you don't want to take something you imagine. You want to be dead sure that you That's right. Then you don't care what comes of it. He's standing there with you. So, What difference does it make? There you know what happened. And the blind man received his sight. About a, two or three months ago, I was standing in the room. I heard a voice speaking in the corner. I tried to wake my wife to look at it there. There's been, the morning before, that was a hideous thing, standing there at the bed, accusing me. After he told me I'd seen a big mamba running. That's an African snake. and He's trying to kill people. And I was actually, my brother, and I screamed out, Oh, God, what can I do? He said, You've been given power to bind him. To be of a good courage. I spoke to him and his tail went up in the air and whirled around it just like this picture handle here and choked himself to death. Blue smoke flew out of him. Next morning, when I woke up and was I laying outside I better get up and take the children to school and looked over, and there was this hideous looking thing, it looked like his alley in the funny paper. Great big horns sticking out of it. He's going sound like a hen cackling or, or singing like they're going from the barn. I looked at him, and I said, Meaty, meaty, honey. And she didn't wake up. I thought, she had to scare her to death. And I waited there just a minute. And stand and watch. People talk about devils and don't even know what they are sometimes. That's right. But you run headlong into them every day, maybe, but you will. Notice that while he was accusing me, he said, You have no power with God. You're just a bluff. You have no power. I said, Satan, you're an offense to me. Get out of my way. In the name of Jesus Christ. And he left. I laid there a little bit in the bed, started to raise up. I felt a real sweet feeling come over me. I thought, what if the Holy Spirit now is closed and over in the corner, so help me, here's my Bible over my heart, the sweetest voice I ever heard in my life. It said, Don't fear to go anywhere, don't fear to do anything, for the never failing presence of Jesus Christ is with you wherever you go. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's settling with me. Let
0: them rage I got an absolute my anchor hole, General, because it's a word of the living God. Amen. You yeah. Let us bow our heads just a moment. If you haven't got that absolute now, get it. If you'd like to have that absolute, that assurance in your heart of the Holy Spirit, raise your hand. And say, I want something out will punctuate the Word of God, and I see the Word of God made manifest. Amen. God bless you. All over the building. Thank you. I'm only telling you the truth, friend. Don't let it pass by you. I'm not claiming I'm nothing. I'm your brother. Don't you pay attention to a messenger. You watch the message. Don't watch the messenger. God will take it away from you. He'll share His glory with nobody. Right? Don't you watch the messenger. Watch the message. The man running here, he might be black, yellow, brown, ragged. If he's got a check for you for a uh, bank draft for a million dollars, you wouldn't care what color he was or how he was dressed. It's a message he has for you. Now, don't look at my grammar and, and the things you just remember. I'm telling you about Jesus Christ, who's here now. You believe him with all your heart. Don't you fail to believe him. I'm watching now to see what he's going to tell me. Just keep your heads bowed and start praying. Just have faith on doubt. Now, Heavenly Father, it's all in your hands. I pray, Heavenly Father, just now that man and women in here might realize that this is not an easy thing to do, being a mortal and living among men, living with people. I pray, Heavenly Father, that they will understand this and know that thy servant is is trying to speak of you, and i found that you keep your word, Lord. I found that it's true, I find that you and your word are the self-same, and you've carried me safely this far, Father. And if that angel who the people have seen and seen his life is in a pillar of a fire, Lord, with all my heart, I believe it's our Lord Jesus, I believe it's his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that we all worship and believe in. God, may we not fail to recognize it now. And may we understand and come back and may the church clean itself up. May every denomination. Father, I don't pray that you'll break up those denominations, but I pray that the Holy Spirit will get into those denominations, and they will be, they see things different. They may all become one, a brotherhood. Granted, I thank you for their fine cooperation, Lord. If it hadn't been you in this, there'd been nobody let me come in. But you, you give me favor with these ministers, and I pray that you'll bless them, Lord. I pray for them especially, for everyone. I pray for Brother Williams. Lord, give him the desire of his heart. Oh, I pray that you'll help him, him and Sister Williams, and and their desires. Brother Shakarian, Sister Shakarian, all these executives here of this great group of laity that you've called out in this last day to pack a message, to unite brethren together. Lord, may they never become a denomination. May they stay free from all those things and put their arms out and take in all brothers that's born of the Spirit, granted. Bless all the groups, bless the oneness and and all the different little groups, Lord, that's got their different ideas. The the Trinitarians and the ones that believe that God is two and God is three and God is, whatever they believe God, let them know that there's one true God. Jesus Christ is his Son, and grant it, Lord, if they'll be able to understand these things, that we don't have no uh, four or five gods. We have one God in three offices, the same God in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May May the revelation dawn upon them today, Lord. May this fussing quit going on, and may man and women be able to associate together and be one in Christ. For the hours it's too late now for these arguments and little things. I believe you, and I believe, Father, all that you predestinated to come to life will hear your voice and come. My sheep will hear my voice, and I believe that you'll grant it, Lord. Bless them now. There's many hands in here, maybe 200 hands up in the air, and wanted to receive you as their Savior, and wanted to receive you as, as their, their, their absolute, something that they could place their faith on. their very heart would punctuate every word and make it be manifest. Grant it, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask it. Now while you're here together and in this little group, I want you to be praying, minute. I've never done this, but I feel led to do it. Just keep in prayer. And how many of you people in here that know me and you're sick or have need for yourself or somebody, raise up your hands that you know me and know that I know you. Raise up your hands everywhere. You see, it just looks like all around. Now, you put your hands down. Now, the ones that you know that you don't know me and I don't know you, raise up your hands. Still everywhere. No way to... Differentiate them apart. Now, I want you to pray. Pray sincerely. Don't doubt now. Just pray. And let's let the Holy Spirit... Now, if I've spoke these things, now you know good and well, it's totally impossible for me to know who you are, what you are, or whatever about it, what's wrong with you. But what happens? Did not Jesus promise the same thing in the last day? Did not He say there... When he said, as it was in the days of Sodom, when God was manifested in flesh, that man come there, just a man eating flesh of a cow or a calf, drinking milk and bread. And he said, where is Sarah? He said, she's in the tent behind you. And he told what he was going to do. He said, I'm going to visit you. Abraham called him Elohim, Lord God. And he said, uh, Sarah laughed to herself. And he said, why did Sarah life with well, his back turned to the tent? Jesus said, as it was, you see, there was a church natural, the church natural, which was Lot and his group, they had a modern Billy Graham go down there and, and so forth. And an old Roberts and them calling them out. They did a miracle they much as the smite blind and preach the gospel. And that was the sodomites There's always three groups of people. The sodomites, you see what they did? But the elected, the Pentecostal so-called, that was Abraham, that was already out of Egypt, already out of Sodom, sitting up in the lands of the poor lands. See what kind of a message they got? Now watch today. When was there ever a time? Tell me when a time ever went out to Sodom. Remember, that was Abraham. A B E R H A M, A B R A H A M, rather. When was there ever a messenger ever went to the local denominational churches with a man ending his name in H-A-M, G-R-A-H-A-M? What about to the Pentecostal group? It's never been known in history. I've come through it just recently, checking names. You say names don't mean nothing. Why did Saul then have his name changed to Paul? Why did Simon to Peter? Why did Jacob to Israel? certainly did. Have faith in God. Don't overlook the thing that God's trying to give you. Now pray. Say, Lord Jesus, have mercy. I'm not mistaken, while you have your heads down, I'm looking over here, I think that's Sister Carl Williams sitting over here to my right. Is that right, Miss Williams? Uh, uh, Over here, Sister Carl Williams, it looked like her sitting over there to my right. I wasn't sure. Did I make it clear? I guess it wasn't. I'm trying to see somebody that I know. Look around. I see Brother and Sister Dow sitting here, but they're from the church. Is that this outlaw over here to my left? So I thought you all were standing there. This outlaw, I know you. You're someone I know. I want to ask you something. You look right straight to me. Do you believe me to be God's servant? Do you believe that these things I teach is the truth? And Outlaw, I haven't spoken to you, as I know of, for over a year since that year before. No, I believe I waved that you the other day in the restaurant. Look here to me. But you have a burden on your heart, not so much for yourself, but for somebody else. That's a young woman. It's your daughter-in-law. Do you believe that God is able to tell me what's the matter with that daughter-in-law? She's got kind of a sign of trouble. And also she got a nervous, real, real nervous. All right. Don't don't worry. Total leave her. She felt it right then total Just have faith.
1: Glory to God. You believe? Yes.
0: Here's a lady sitting right down in front of me here. Total stranger, but she, she see that light hanging over? She's suffering with a weakness in her body. She she's not from here, she's from California. I'm a total stranger to the woman, but she knows I'm speaking to her now. You see that light hanging over? I'm I i do not know her, never seen her. But her name is Mrs. Elliot. Do you believe with all your heart? You go home, be made well. Do you believe it? All right. Now if I'm a stranger and everything, wave your hand to, like that, see. Raise up your hand and believe with all your heart, see if that's it, all right.
1: Have
0: faith. Here's a lady sitting right in front of her, right by the side. Must be her husband. She's sitting there also, and she has a trouble with her muscles. It got spasms in it. That is right. Yes, ma'am. Miss garbage if you believe with all your heart, you believe. There you are. I don't know. You never knowed your name or nothing about it. But that's true, isn't it? And you were sitting there saying, Lord, let it be me. See? If that's right, wave your hand back and forth like this. Wave your hand if that's right. No. There you are. I've never seen her in my life. Heavenly Father knows those things are true. That's right. What is it? It's Jesus Christ. What's it doing? It's exactly what he said it would do in the last days. Now, if that's right and God performing it, showing it is right, then the Word I'm preaching is right because it's the same God keeping his Word. Believe on the Lord. Turn from your lukewarm ways. Get away from these things that's dragging you out like Hollywood. These things that's dragging you like the rest of the churches. Return to God and get an absolute that'll hold the an anchor of your heart. How many would like to have that experience with Christ? Stand up on your feet right here in His presence, where you know He's here. God bless you. God bless you. Glory. Now that's fine. Now that is wonderful. Oh my. I don't know what to say. If every one of you here will accept that message, that Jesus Christ is right here with us. A little while in the world, unbelievers won't see me no more, yet ye shall see me. I'll be with you, even in you. The works that I do shall you also. Jesus Christ is saying yesterday and forever. Is that right? right. Well, you see him working exactly what he promised. Now he's here. The only thing you have to do is just just lay yourself down and say, "Lord Jesus, I now a purpose in my heart from this hour on." I'm yours, and you're mine, and I want this experience in my heart, that I can speak your word, your word will live, and what I ask of it will be done. Do you want it? Then let's just raise up our hands to God and pray, every one of us now, everybody, and then um, I want you to raise one hand up and put a hand on somebody next to you. Right, that's right. Businessman, God ever bless you, be with you.